Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and this is Games on Film. Kind of surprised he didn't go games on film, dun 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 dun, etc. Yeah, that crossed my mind, but I'm not sure I could deliver it with the gusto required. We are talking about the video game movie Mortal Kombat. We've been saving this for a little while. We've had this in our pocket because we wanted to start our first episode of the year, the year 2019, with a classic. Of the canon. That's classic with a K. Classic with a K, <laughs> canon with a K. But that Mortal Kombat we were talking about, the, the shout from the film. I mean, basically, this franchise is largely built around a shout, isn't it? But that Mortal Kombat was a sample from a TV advert. And when you watch the advert, there's a couple other people shouting Mortal Kombat, kind of like a normal person would shout. Then there's this epic one. Do you think that guy who did the shout, which was sampled and used, gets any residuals? Probably not. I did some research just to see if I could find out who did the voice, and I could find the voices of various other samples in in the games, but sadly, the man who yells Mortal Kombat in the advert remains anonymous, and I only can imagine that it's definitely the person in the advert, his arms outstretched, shouting, Mortal Kombat! Wow, that sounded really old! Well, that's how he sounds like now. Exactly. Please come forward. Please yes. let yourself be known. Yes, let's hope. We'll have an interview of you. Hopefully you can talk at a level less than a, sh- <laughs> less than a shout. But Mortal Kombat, yeah, it's a big deal. It's um, a big franchise. Massive fan uh, community. One of the, uh, I mentioned earlier, probably the, the unholy trinity at the start of video game movies proper. Um, the first being... Uh, Super Mario Brothers, then the year before this film in 94 came Street Fighter, and then came Mortal Kombat. And I get the impression that uh, amongst cinephiles, it's viewed as one of the, it's popularly known as one of the better video game movies out there. I think it's it was a commercial success. Mm-hmm. It, it entered the US box office at number one with the second largest August opening of all time at that point, making $23 million in its opening weekend and eventually making $122 million worldwide. Um, I imagine on a slightly small-ish budget, at least I think it's sort of like uh, fairly outside of the main studio systems. Yeah, it was very tiny. Uh, I read that the budget was so small that they couldn't pay for the one main star, Christopher Lambert, or Lambert, um, to come out to Thailand for extra shots. So he was really going to have a very reduced role. But God bless old Christopher Lambert. He paid for his own travel out of his own pocket. And also, I don't think he paid for his time there as well. Mm. I think much to the chagrin of his agent. And apparently there's not enough money for uh, a rap party. So he paid for an extravagant rap party out of his own pocket. So... He seemed pretty keen to be there. God bless you, Christopher. Yes, Raiden bless you, Chris. (laughs) 
at the time of the original game's release, I believe this was when gaming was on the cusp of becoming mainstream. Video games have been around since the 70s, but I think the children of the 70s in the early 90s were now were now in their 20s and getting the sort of disposable income. And I think with Mortal Kombat, I, I think it's less that gaming became mainstream. I mean, yes, it did, but I think it's, as you say, it's like gaming has grown up. So it's not viewed as just something for kids. Of course, the whole thing about Mortal Kombat, it's USP, I suppose, was its blood and gore. There had been gore and guts in video games before, but I think not at this level and certainly not at this level of popularity and notoriety. So I think when the controversy surrounded Mortal Kombat was about protecting children from it, when really I think the developers probably were just thinking, oh, this will be fine because we're grown-ups and so, you know, we can handle this stuff. I mean, I'm sure they really also quite liked the fact that it whipped up a lot of controversy and kids were playing it anyway. Yeah, two things. The 90s was definitely the time when the the line between mature and extreme was very blurred and... I remember reading all these 90s comics and, you know, they all look like Deadpool with the the pouches and the weapons and Max comics and things. And yeah, you felt so grown up. And when you look back at them now, they are incredibly embarrassing and the violence and bad language is is desperately immature. So it was that. But also I watched, I went on a deep dive on on YouTube earlier. Mortal Kombat was, was, was making such a, a big splash and there was a, a fox news report and uh you know fox news being fox news was talking about the controversy about violence in video games and they interviewed an arcade owner who said um you could turn off the violence in the game you could flick a switch which could turn off the blood and their takings went down 40 percent <laughs> on that arcade game because people thought well, where's the violence where's the gore Cold-blooded murder is making Mortal Kombat the most popular video game in history. Kids relish their victory and their bloody choice. Should they pull out their opponent's heart or simply rip his head off just to see his spinal cord dangle in a pool of blood? How do you feel about cutting his head off? After a $10 million advertising campaign, Mortal Kombat, debuting in home video today, is expected to sell 2 million copies at $50 a pop. A horrifying possibility for parents who can't believe the game makers are fantasizing about decapitation and murder. When was the first game released? Uh, 92. 92, okay. So, I mean... 19, 1892, not, 19, 19, not 1892. That would have really turned some heads. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so at that time, I just remember I was quite young. I remember so much fuss about it, so much notoriety. I just knew that this was wrong to even contemplate looking at the arcade <laughs> cabinet because it just had very angry-looking people on the side of the mm. of the arcade cabinet. Yes, I definitely remember this is when game video game companies were realising that bad news was not necessarily bad news. There's no such thing as bad news. Yeah, and it definitely, I think, with the marketing of the game, particularly when it came to its home release, capitalised on that. But when we mentioned in the previous episode, our Simpsons special, because the episode we focused on was released in 1995, and a pivotal game in that episode is Bonestorm, 
which is a very uh, thinly veiled pastiche of Mortal Kombat, the same year that the Mortal Kombat movie came out, 1995. So uh, that's just like an example of what people considered Mortal Kombat to be, just like excessive, ridiculous, Mm. over-the-top violence. And in many ways, that's true, but it's, it's hard to put into words just how much Mortal Kombat was on the minds of kids everywhere at the time and how it was just, you know, news articles, news reports, as you said, just everything was about this game. This game is the is the ultimate in gore and yeah. violence. When you think of Mortal Kombat, you don't think of the intricate fighting it's violence with a capital V it's when it the, comes to yeah, Mortal Kombat. It's the fatalities. Exactly. It's, it's That's the main draw, in a way, is, is uh, seeing, is pulling off the moves in order to make something unspeakably disgusting happen to your opponent. Yeah. As the, we're going to focus mostly on the first couple of games I mean, our discussions of the franchise because there's been later iterations in media, and I think we're on the cusp of Mortal Kombat 11, and um, the last few Mortal Kombat games has definitely been crash zooms into X-rays of people's bones breaking, and it's. I mean, I've, I've, I don't bother getting the later Mortal Kombat games. I just go on YouTube and watch all the fatalities and things. Gradually grow more uh, sick into the stomach as, yeah. as you progress. I remember when the SNES copy of Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat, came out, and the violence had been removed because at the time there were questions swirling around in Congress, and Nintendo didn't want to get into that argument. And the bloodlust, the literal bloodlust, was such that um, many of my friends were convinced that you could. I think there's a, an urban myth, a cheat going around where if you sell a tape to fifty pence piece to the back, a certain point in the back of the SNES cartridge, you would uh, <laughs> unlock the blood, and um, that was definitely a prank by a magazine. Mm. A troll, they trolled their readership, and um, I thought that was her- hilarious. I also had Mortal Kombat on the Game Boy, yeah, and uh, the classic Game Boy, and didn't have the character Johnny Cage. The frame rate was terrible, and again, no blood. It was just very difficult to play, And um, but that's all we had back then. Yeah. Well, my earliest interaction with Mortal Kombat wasn't on home console, though. It was in the arcade, and I remember being on holiday. It, we were like, I think we were in Spain or somewhere. There was an arcade machine, and we went, and I was with my dad, and I remember my dad taking me back to my mum and just saying the boys have been playing this game and they were beating the S out of each other. <laughs> I'm going to try and not swear this episode <laughs> because I've listened back and um, in honour of the Mortal Kombat film being PG-13, I'm going to keep my language PG-13, mm-hmm. which I think te- nowadays technically means I'm allowed one F-bomb. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, it's amazing that you avoided it just then. <laughs> I know, I had to think about it. But I think it might have been the first time I heard my dad swear as well. Um, do you have any early memories of Mortal Kombat? Well, in terms of... I mean, we'll get on to some other Mortal Kombat games, I think, later on. Because as well as this movie, there was uh, a sequel to this film. And there was a TV series. There was also cartoon spin-offs, web series that we can eventually get to. But uh, just 
to give a sort of rough overview, yes, so I played Mortal Kombat 1. It's more sort of dribs and drabs here and there at friends' houses, I think, for the other games. Cooler cooler kids. Cooler kids. We, we didn't actually have Mortal Kombat, did we? No. Well, the first Mortal Kombat game, I think, apart from that Game Boy version that we owned, was oh, yeah. Mortal Kombat 4 on the N64. Oh, yes. Which was memories the, of that one. Which was the first foray, I think, into sort of 3D characters. Because one of the other major selling points of the Mortal Kombat games, at least in the start, was the fact that they used actual captured images of actors dressed up mm. in costume. And I was looking up a little bit about how this was developed. In fact, the original Mortal Kombat game, um, the creators were Ed Boon and John Tobias of Midway Entertainment. And they were looking to make a sort of grittier version of Street Fighter 2, which was the big hit at the time. They approached and pitched a concept to Jean-Claude Van Damme (laughs) himself uh, in order to star in this game. And he declined, although funnily enough, he would eventually make an appearance in Street Fighter, the movie, the game, as a photo captured version of himself. But that's a story for another episode. So instead, what they used was like friends and stunt uh, actors and things, and they spent about five days just f- taking video footage of them doing all kinds of poses and shots. And during that time, they really kind of developed the characters and the moves and um, catchphrases and and everything. So what we see in Mortal Kombat, at least in the original game, is largely just, I guess, photo real, as I would say. Graphics, and that was definitely like a major revelation at the time. I think that also helped contribute to the controversy or controversy um, around the violence, because never before had the people look so realistic, and and I was going to say the blood looks so realistic, but people lose several gallons of blood. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about where how successful an adaptation this is, and maybe a little bit later on. But if if in the film <laughs> they lost that amount of blood. You it would not only be an NC seventeen or an eighteen rated movie, but it would also how are they still standing? You know, I I trapped my finger in a door once, and I lost sort of like just a bit of blood, and I had to lie down. It would be a little bit like Ricky O, I think. Is, oh, that's a brilliant film. Which yeah, if if Mortal Kombat the movie hasn't um, delivered the level of gore that you require, just watch Ricky O which is basically a martial arts movie set in a prison, but with disgusting levels of gore and things being ripped out of people in Mm -hmm. quite disgusting ways. Yeah, I think, although at the time, mothers were clutching their pearls and shouting, will somebody think of the children? It really, I feel, watching, watching the early games now, it's really like a Looney Tunes style level of violence where people people i mean get spiked and then they're ready for round 2 yeah it's it's kind of itchy and scratchy yeah <laughs> uh, sort of levels of violence which is it's so over the top it's kind of amusing whereas i think nowadays it's still over the top but because you can actually see all the guts spilling out and the bones being fractured it's just a tad more um unpleasant I mean, one thing the early games have is a, is a degree of camp and a degree of silliness. I think from the second game onwards, you have that chap appearing at the bottom going, Toasty! Yeah. And I think he's one of the producers in Mortal Kombat 4. He went, Toasty! 3D! <laughs> yeah. And 
in 2003, 2004 games, I think we're talking about Mortal Kombat Deception and a few games like that, they had bizarre little mini games or videos with Scorpion or Sub-Zero doing the cooking and chess games. It's always had a sense of humour about mm. itself. Yeah. A side note, uh, I noticed, well, I think NetherRealm Studios, they also do the Injustice games. Am I correct? I think so. And we've recently been followed on Twitter by the guy who does the voice of Leonardo in Justice 2. Leonardo as in the Teenage Turtle? The Teenage Turtle. Leonardo, not Leonardo da Vinci in Mortal Kombat. I don't know what the DLC oh, is. A fighter game about artists. The Renaissance. Be, oh, that'd be really good. Renaissance fighter. But not just the Turtles. You'd have Van Gogh or Van Gogh. Oh, okay. Well, it's no Van longer Renaissance. No, no, that's the thing. It'd be a fighting oh, okay. game of different artists. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. Or just slightly change the names. It'd be nice. Each stage is a different painterly style. Mm. Like, they're in their actual famous, most famous artwork. Yeah, you would learn something while ripping off the head of, of uh, Michelangelo. Warhol wins. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd play that game. So, Mortal Kombat was... A big deal. When it came out on home consoles, it was a worldwide release. It was known as Mortal Monday back in September 93 and uh, apparently made $50 million in its launch day alone. So it was a big deal. And we mentioned up front about the commercial and, you know, people in the street streaming Mortal Kombat. And that was just, I think as far as video game marketing campaigns go, that was maybe one of the most like memorable, memorable mm. I think, pre-PlayStation era mm. anyway. There's that other one from Mario Brothers 3 when they're shouting Mario, Mario. <laughs> so mm. it's on a similar vein. Maybe that was a thing at the time. In each of us, there burns the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. Three strangers will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld to defend our people against Shang Tsung. You will die. And his forces of darkness in an ancient tournament. One more victory. Your soul is mine. And our world no! is theirs. It has begun. was released before we were old enough to see it in cinemas, I think. I can't remember when I first saw it. It was definitely on video. Yeah, for me it was a big video rental hit. 
for me. I think I probably I think I probably saw it first time with a few friends. We rented a bunch of movies. I think we rented Mortal Kombat and Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. <laughs> okay. Which seems like a very strange double bill. It's Mortal Kombat and then who is it? Patrick Swayze, John Leguizamo, and Wesley, Wesley Snipes? Snipes in drag. Yeah. Fighting each other. Once we had it on VHS, it was a regular on regular rotation, I think. I remember just thinking because we are Westerners, we both thought this was... Well, I thought especially this was the best martial arts I'd ever <laughs> seen in a film. I don't think I'd actually really been exposed to that much Bruce Lee either. So I just thought mm. this was the fastest, most extreme and best fighting I've yeah. ever seen. Hadn't seen much Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, yeah. um, Shaw Brothers stuff. And to be fair, although the fight choreography was attributed to a chap called Pat... The main star, because I can't remember his surname, okay. um, Robin Shu, or Sho, um, who plays Liu Kang, um, had a lot of background in Hong Kong action cinema. And so he was invited to make suggestions for the fights. So there's a, a lot of things like wire work, which was then popularized by The Matrix uh, in Western cinema. He, he, he kind of brought that over for this film. I guess at the time, in my stupid 90s brain, I thought, I thought Hollywood was at the pinnacle, but it was really just taking stuff from Hong Kong cinema. And then you, you watch stuff like The Raid today and Ong Bak, and you think, hmm, yeah, these are, these are <laughs> most of the cast are not amazing martial artists. They're, they're good, they're good, but they're not, they're not on the level. I mean, you make films now like The Raid, which are basically built around a martial artist rather than the other way around. One of the characters is all about, like, oh, people think I'm a fake, people think I'm a fraud, when actually there's quite a lot of, uh, like, it's kind of frustrating in the interviews with actors nowadays, when it's an action film, the question is always, oh, how much of did you do your own stunts, or do you like to get involved in the fights and all this kind of stuff? And it seems like actors always say, yeah, I did all my stunts, and I did 95% of all fight sequences and all this kind of thing. I just wish some of them would say, no, actually, didn't do much. Because it seems like it's discrediting a lot of, you know, hard-working stunt actors and stunt coordinators. And I think, yeah, there are exceptions. There are people who do a lot, and that shows on screen. And in a way, it's kind of refreshing how in this film, it does seem like a lot of the cast, even though they're not the best at martial arts, apart from Robin Shu has that sort of background... A lot of them did do quite a lot of stuff. And I think there were very few instances where I was like, stunt double, clearly. Maybe if it's Christopher Lambert. <laughs> yeah. Well, still, the first time we're introduced to Johnny Cage is when he's fighting on one of his movies. And he, um, somebody later says, you're one of the best fighters in the world. But then if you watch the fight, it's your typical... He does a little twist of his arm, and then the stunt man does a massive, <laughs> like forward flip to fall over. Yeah, yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, the fighting is not bad. We'll go deep, more deep into the fighting later on. But um, yeah, I, the rose-tinted specks have gone off slightly since I first saw the film. Well, I think last time I saw this before we watched it for the podcast, we actually saw it on the big screen at the Prince Charles Cinema, mm -hmm. and. That was the first time I'd seen it at the cinema. And it was strange because 
I, I watch it so many times on video, and then when you see something on a big screen, it's like, oh, you can a, see more of the picture. On a widescreen. Yeah, on a widescreen, you can focus more on background detail. And weirdly enough, I felt the film was a little flat, and I felt like you said about the sort of budget and things like that, I felt like it looked a little bit... I don't know, you could sense the cheapness and the kind of hiding the seams of mm. a lot of... I, I think the locations are very cool. I think the sets are nicely designed, but also they're very empty. And you realise in the scenes where it's just people talking to each other, dealing out exposition and pet talks and such in these kind of cavernous spaces, you realise just how sort of sound stagey everything is i mean that's that's kind of true but at the same time i'm thinking about modern video game movies and they do have a lot of cgi in the background and there's some beautiful map paintings of this of, of massive uh, mountains on mysterious islands but i could as you watch a film from like the early 90s and you think gosh yes they they had to film everything they had to yeah make stuff i mean in 2018, we got a CGI Goro in uh, Ready Player One. We did. Um, and we saw a, a, an animatronic Goro in this film. Spoilers <laughs> for Mortal Kombat. And yes, of course, he's not perfect. His mouth movements are, are slightly stilted. But I appreciate his physicality, appreciate him being there. So watching it now on DVD... Again, this is only the second time I've watched it, not in the pan and scan edition, so I was enjoying its cinematic qualities. Yeah, I just think it just it just feels somehow just a little bit more real than a lot of the films today, probably with its budget. But before we get too stuck in, shall we give a little synopsis for the Ooh. uninitiated? Yes. So I've downloaded the classic VHS cover, which is what we owned back in the day. In the dark and foreboding realm of Outworld, the world's greatest warriors must survive the supreme battle between ultimate good and absolute evil. Led by sorcerer Shang Tsung, the evil Shaokan Prince Goro has been combat champion for nine generations. If he triumphs for a tenth time, the portals of Earth will be opened and the desolation and despair that has flourished in the outworld will reign over the earth for eternity eternity is with a capital e mm. uh, guided by the mighty thunder god raiden christopher lambert highlander fortress three humans must delve deep within their souls to discover the power they need to conquer a host of insurmountable games games insurmountable games that's what it says here okay <laughs> the is there any games? Anyway, they must delve deep within their souls to discover the power they need to conquer a host of insurmountable games and vanquish their diabolical superhuman enemy. Mortal Kombat is not just a battle to the death. It is the final battle for life. And the tagline is, nothing in this world has prepared you for this. I'd like the idea of insurmountable games like... Raiden says, okay, guys, the tournament is over there. And they get there and it's like total wipeout. And they have like <laughs> have to do balance balls on the beach or something. Well, I think now I'm going to watch all game shows imagining they are for the fate of the world and not 500 quid. I can imagine catchphrase. <laughs> Who wants to be a millionaire? The list goes on. Think about yeah, it. Think of other think of game other shows. Games. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about just the development of the film. 
before we get into plot and everything. So this was produced by Lawrence Kasanov, who um, was a producer, I think, involved with Terminator 2. And the way he found out about uh, Mortal Kombat was that he was visiting Midway Entertainment's offices because he was, I think, liaising with them about the T2, the arcade game, which was a Midway title. Mm -hmm. And they showed him Mortal Kombat, and he instantly thought, ka-ching. Yeah. And if you look at his career since, he's pretty much just Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. That's his kind of baby through his um, entertainment company. He has also directed the infamous CG animation Food Fight, (laughs) Oh, right, I see. He was responsible for that. It's it's another fighting film. Yes, another fighting film. And he is still trying to develop a Tetris movie. He's been nursing a sort of sci-fi-based Tetris Mm. movie in which I think giant Tetris blocks fall from the sky. Well, yes. (laughs) I can imagine either that or it's the the most amazing sex scene. (laughs) It's like a big orgy. (laughs) Oh, dear. If that's not a swear word, that's suggestive content. Here comes a long, thin block. Um, (laughs) So that's the sort of pedigree that we're dealing with. I should also mention that the script was written by Kevin Droney, who also provided the screenplay for Wing Commander. Oh, right. Okay. But I, I think in interviews I've seen with the cast, they kind of peppered the script and improved it a little bit. And I think... Not of Wing Commander. No, of, of Mortal Kombat. I think they kept Wing Commander as it is mm-hmm. um, and left it awful. And with this film, I think contributions from cast and a little bit of onset magic maybe helped <laughs> steer it in the right direction. Sorry, Kevin. Cool. Um, of course, we've not actually mentioned this is a Paul Anderson joint before he became W.S. Anderson. We'll be featuring Mr. Anderson's work on this Mr. show. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> Quite a bit. I think notable in this, so this would be his first video game movie, only his second feature. Mm. But also we mentioned Paul W.S. Anderson in the past in relation to Dead or Alive, DOA. Mm. And I think we mentioned in that episode quite a bit how similar it is to this Mortal Kombat film and that it's a fighting tournament on an island and has a lot of the same kind of beats, I think, in terms of story and, and such. Well, as mentioned in our very first episode, episode zero, I wrote my dissertation on video game movies. And um, one thing I talked about was how video games would often be remediations of popular culture. So Mortal Kombat, the game, and most fighting games were basically video game adaptations of Enter the Dragon. And then it, the, this film feeds back on itself because it is very much a... An adaptation of Enter the Dragon where people go to a mysterious island with a supervillain boss and a tournament and that's what Dead Alive did as well. Like a dragon eating its own mm. tail. I think once a generation uh, a video game adaptation <laughs> is created which is about fighting on an island. Let's talk about the characters because the film kind mm. of introduces them step by step Yeah, true. at the start of the movie. So we can talk a little bit about who they are, what their motivations are, and why they're involved in the Mortal Kombat tournament. Yeah, they've been chosen. They are the chosen They've ones. been chosen. That's, that's all we learn how they're chosen. It's not like Dead or Alive, where they get sent a CGI... Um, invitation. Invitation fired at them through some sort of device. They're, they're chosen by who knows who. Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung, kinda. kinda. So let's start with Liu Kang. 
He is the hero of the movie. He is portrayed by Robin Shu, who we mentioned has a background in Hong Kong action cinema mm. and helped do a lot of the choreography for this film. And he also appears as a pirate in Dead or Alive. And in this film, he's the owner of the most fantastic hair. He's got the most fantastic hair. He's got the most fantastic pets. Mm. He is... If, it's, if you like muscly men, this yeah. is the film for you. I wonder what the oil budget on this <laughs> film was. <laughs> bloody heck. There's I, a scene Oh, like, gosh, there's bloody count. I said bloody. There's a scene later on where it's just all these muscly men in hoods lined up, mm. covered in oil. I just watch it thinking, I could be like that if I, tra- <laughs> <laughs> if, I tra- if I trained all my life. I made someone laugh out loud in the cinema. Uh, I was walking past the post for Creed 2. And if you've seen it, it's, it's Michael B. Jordan on his knees, screaming to the sky, flexing his pecs. And I said to my mate, um, I should be in a boxing movie because then I could train and I'd look like that. And some strando stranger went, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, I thought, but I could. You tickled a stranger. I tickled a stranger. <laughs> I think Robin Shu is great in this. I think he's, I think you can say what you like about maybe the quality of the film or maybe you think it is just an endless bunch of fights with very little going on beyond that. Um, you know, maybe fair criticisms, but I think what this film gets right is casting mm. likable, interesting, charismatic actors. And I think Robin Shu is a delight. Yeah. He's very good at fighting. He, when he's sort of teasing Johnny Cage later on, he's just got this cheeky smile mm-hmm. and this grin, but he also completely sells being super serious and fighting for the fate of the world and all this kind of stuff. And I think he just is a very charismatic presence. Everyone in this film works with the material rather than just regurgitating it. I think a lot of um, video game movies or or movies of this sort of budget or, or, or B-movies, I suppose you should say, they just repeat what's on the page. But I think so many people in this film really give their their material some gravitas. I think what helps is that you have the three main uh, human heroes, as it were, is that they feel comparatively grounded and real, mm. whereas they're surrounded by people in very colourful costumes and looking kind of strange and weird and silly. And I think what works with this film is that the heroes don't look silly themselves and i think some of the other video game movies put our heroes in just as ridiculous costumes and make them seem as silly and colorful sometimes that works and you get a dead or alive and Mm. sometimes it doesn't and i think what helps here is that you can't have characters dressed up in bright green costumes and looking at Scorpion and Sub-Zero and thinking, who are these freaks? Because they look already ridiculous. My my big bone I pick with the Harry Potter movies is that Harry Potter and everyone live in a world of magic. Perhaps not Harry Potter in the first film, because it's all new to them, but by the third or fourth year at Hogwarts, they shouldn't be reacting to magic in the wide-eyed, dumbstruck way they always do. (laughs) It's like me being fascinated by light bulbs still. (laughs) I mean, it's sad to say, but you know, it's rare to have an Asian lead in big Hollywood movies even now. It's, again, quite refreshing. I mean, obviously, they're doing the Bruce Lee thing. I mean, you know, if you're making a, a fancy version of Enter the Dragon, you, you get get your Bruce Lee character in. <laughs> but um, 
Talking about his strange costumes, though, I noticed for a lot of the film, he's in just like shirt and suit trousers. <laughs> Both him and Johnny Cage look um, very, very 90s, mm. which I guess is the point. But... Well, I think big billowy dress shirts mm. was kind of a thing in the mid 90s, but also I think practical to fight in because, you know, it's not clinging to your chest. You're yeah. not so getting all that kind of sweat in it's yeah giving I mean, yourself a breeze around the arms but then we quickly get to nice um beshirted or shirtless Liu kang um for maximum uh peck delight yes he's just had a nightmare um, <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up because his brother has tried to do battle with the big baddie of the film and that's shang sung and failed well i've got a question about that so was the initial fight we see between Sang Sheng and Liu Kang's brother a tournament fight? It can't be because they're not on the island. Yeah, I, I think it's just he wanted to follow. So Liu Kang is the sort of chosen one. It's his role effectively to basically defeat Shang Tsung. His younger brother was trying to follow in his footsteps and I guess thought, I'm going to take on Shang Tsung myself outside of tournament time perhaps. And uh, failed because he's a strawny little weakling. That last thing you said, I imagine Cho himself saying, I'm going to defeat Shang Tsung. Outside of tournament, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> he what? knows he's not the chosen one, but he thought he'd have a go. It's a little bit vague exactly mm. how that came about. But all we need to know is vengeance is, is part of Liu Kang's motivation. I mean, one thing I like about this film is the motivation for the three main characters is clear. It's clear and, and different for each of them. Yeah, Raiden effectively spells it out it's definitely the definition of tell don't show but i think we we do deal with a few films where you're not quite sure what anyone really wants or why they're doing things but we learn shang Tsung. no uh lu kang he wants revenge um sonia blade which we'll get to in a moment she she wants well hmm, she wants revenge as well but, but a different kind of revenge. Yeah, it's more like she won't accept anyone else's help but herself. So oh. she needs to learn to allow others to, to help her. Yes. In fact, one of the first things she says is, there's only one person I trust and you're looking at her. And Johnny Cage wants to prove to the world that he can actually fight and he's not a fake. Yeah, he's a Hollywood star, martial artist, but people think he's a fraud. And apparently that was not the character really as written in the games. I mean, the film the film has been so influential that certain aspects have bled into uh, the games. And I think, although he was always a Hollywood star in the games, um, the whole wanting to prove himself bled into the character. Another thing which bled into the games was uh, the characterization of Kano. Did you know about this? So Kano, if you look at the early footage of the games and the, the actual live-action actors, which they film, uh, he meant, he's meant to be Korean-American and he wears more Oriental stuff in the games. But the makers of the games were so impressed by the sort of thuggish, mercenary-type characterization in the film that he kind of became that more in the games. He gives a very nice performance. Mm. I think he gives a real, like... He's meant to be repugnant and a bit disgusting mm. and unpleasant underworld thug. And tick, 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 all those boxes. Yeah. There's a bit when he's in a headlock but between the legs of Sonia Blade when she does one of her classic moves. And he, a little bit of spittle comes out of his <laughs> mouth and goes on her leg. And I'm always like, ew, yeah. that's gross, sick. The His eye effect so he's got a metal eye he's got a metal 
face with a red eye. That's how did they do that? Because I don't know if LED technology was that good. Oh, I think、I'm, it must have been good. I'm sure they managed. But I'm just like I just imagine having a real like really hot light next to his eye <laughs> all the time. So Sonya Blade is trying to yes take revenge on Kano because she's like a special forces operative、mm. and he killed her partner、mm. and so she storms this Hong Kong nightclub with Jats who doesn't make much of an appearance here but is a character in the Mortal Kombat mythos. Yeah, this game sorry this film is very much an adaptation of the first game but it is it's sprinkled with some Mortal Kombat two references, isn't it? Yeah. She finds out that Kano is going to take this、um, boat from this particular harbor at this time, which is coincidentally the boat which takes everyone to the Mortal Kombat tournament. Mortal Kombat Island. But Kano is in. I guess Shang Tsung has enlisted Kano to sort of entice Sonya Blade to the to the tournament. What I quite like about Shang Tsung is that he's got people who are slaves under his power, as he says. But I think. Kano, he he just knows that he's he's a basic bitch,、um, <laughs> and he can be just pay. He can be paid. He just wants money, and he doesn't care who for. And Sonya Blade is portrayed by Bridget Wilson, and、mm-hmm. I think she gives a pretty good performance. She didn't have much time for rehearsal and training、mm. because the original role of Sonya Blade, the original person cast in that role, was Cameron Diaz. I just. An alternate universe, we would have had Cameron Diaz. Would we still have had Charlie's Angels? We might have done because this was before the mask. I think、was、when they were doing the casting was before the mask came out. So they picked, they chose Cameron Diaz because they'd seen some early rushes or、mm. early because it was New Line Cinema as well, and so they cast her. But Cameron Diaz broke her wrist while doing martial arts training for the film, and so had to duck out. And so Bridget Wilson. Who'd already auditioned, I think, for the role. She had to、um, come in to the role at the last minute.、Mm. But yes, interesting part. And now Bridget Wilson, she is、uh, married to Pete Sampras, the tennis player. Oh, I imagine Sonia Blade could. The actual Sonia Blade could be married to her, him, him. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I really like Sonia Blade in this actually because she is like tough, tough as nuts, tough as yeah, nuts, tough, she, tough as nuts. <laughs> she, she's tough as nuts. No, she's just hardcore. She's got a lot of agency. She does become a damsel at the end, but she's not crucially not in distress. She she is captured, but she's like I didn't say it. They said screw you, <laughs> Shang Tsung. My friends will come, and she's not going. My friends are going to rescue me. She's like no, no, yeah, no. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you. But I did wonder her fighting style is mostly shotguns.、Um, <laughs> I mean, she does. She's got one. No, she's got two fights, hasn't she? But I wondered, seeing as Kano is allowed to bring a sword and, and people are allowed to bring various weapons to a Mortal Kombat fight, I wondered if she could elect a shotgun to defeat Shang Tsung and, and what he'd make of that. You'd be like, the elder gods have decided that you are allowed to bring a shotgun. Bam. <laughs> yep. Well, I think in the Mortal Kombat games, like, isn't one of the characters in Mortal Kombat three Striker or something? Yes,、doesn't、he's he got a gun. gun. Yeah, isn't his fatality just shooting someone in the face? <laughs> yeah, so it could be just a video game called Real Fighting. We've got a beat, a two D beat 'em up, but with guns. Isn't that kind of what Deadliest Warrior, that whole TV show, was、oh, yeah. where they had different people from history <laughs> fighting each other?、Oh, didn't they have Taliban fighting people in a car park or something? <sighs> 
I think maybe so. in a later episode. It's, it's not the most elegant link, but there's loads of American show. When when I was a kid, I thought all we got all American shows in the UK eventually, and I discovered this was not the case. And the thing which taught me this was a show called The War Next Door, which starred as its leader a chap called Lyndon Ashby, who plays Johnny Cage. Now, The War Next Door, we saw, we went to America and we saw it, and it was about a CIA agent who retires and then lives next door to his arch nemesis. And every week, the arch nemesis and the hero would try and kill each other. And I only watched one episode, so I didn't realize this, but I read that. Every episode, one of them dies and then gets resurrected. And I think that's a wonderful link. Mm. And it was a really hilarious half hour I watched. But sadly, that wasn't to be. And so Lyndon Ashby is best known as Johnny Cage in this. And um, he was also in... He shows up later in Resident Evil, doesn't he? Resident Evil Extinction. Extinction. So we'll get to him later. I think he turns what is effectively a vain, egotistical Mm. jerk of a character into I don't know something he's the comic relief yeah it's it's an enjoyable performance and he delivers his lines well and does like does the fighting as well as the slapstick and stuff um, pretty spot on I, it's only really this watch where I realised that he's he is very much the comic relief he is very much the the disbeliever I mean of course when you see an actual man turn into lightning you're not you're not going to continue to refuse to believe what you see but he's definitely the sort of guy who's who's like, oh, why, why, why is this happening? <laughs> so Johnny Cage, he's invited to participate uh, in this tournament as well um, with Shane. Well, Shane Son invites him via Mr. Boyd, I think, who I assume is like some sort of martial arts dude or some. <laughs> Film industry guy, that's like a, a that's, friend of Johnny Cage. Yes, because what happened? Shang Tsung has the power in the game. He can turn into any fighter. Um, in the film, he sucks the souls of defeated fighters, which means he's his power set is exclusively made up of losers. But he sucks the souls of fighters and um, can change to their form. But yes, I realise now if that's the case. Yeah, did he just beat up this old guy? In a fight. <laughs> Take his soul so he could pretend to be him. Well, Johnny Cage recognises him, so I'm assuming it's an agent or a producer. And he, t- he tells Johnny Cage, if you do this tournament, which happens once a generation, the whole world would know. Even though... When he gets there, there's no press. There's no press, <laughs> and he's never heard of it. But also, it begs the question, so Shane Sun was in that Hong Kong nightclub when Sonya Blade was there. Mm-hmm. And then presumably flies to Los Angeles to poses this guy to give Johnny Cage the invitation and then flies back to Hong Kong. He must have some serious jet lag. <laughs> well, we either might use a portal. He does mention the portals of Earth at some point. Yeah. Do you think this all happens at the same time? I know I know he says which is Johnny Cage it's happens tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe even though it happens first, Sonya Blade thing happens afterwards. Maybe it's like a a Quentin Tarantino-esque non-linear narrative. I think it was just... They edited to make the film run the way it did without thinking about the consequences of the no, chronology. We didn't think it would be picked apart by two podcasters <laughs> in the future. Whoa, we had the power of nitpicking hindsight. I mean, should we talk about Shang Tsung last? Or should we talk about him now? Well, either Shang Tsung or Raiden. Right, how is Raiden spelt? Because... 
I think in the games it's with an I. It was originally spelled R-A-I-D-E-N, but when they made the home versions of the game, they had to change it to R-A-Y-D-E-N because there was another Acclaim game, Acclaim were the publishers of the game, called Raiden, R-A-I-D-E-N, so they changed it to R-A-Y-D-E-N in order to avoid copyright confusion. But then when Acclaim no longer published the games, because now they're all published by Warner Brothers, uh-huh. it's changed back to R-A-I-D-E-N. So in the film, he's R-A-Y-D-E-N, but in actuality, and the preferred name by the makers of Mortal Kombat is R-A-I-D-E-N. That's good. My, my notes are written accurately then, but not <laughs> accurately for this film. That's interesting, sort of, <laughs> because if they ever made a Mortal Kombat live-action movie again, would he be portrayed by an Asian actor or not? Because he wears the the hat. I think the makers of the game, when they were talking about casting, they said they had pictured him maybe as Asian, but then didn't think it was particularly pivotal to the character because it's sort of... While I think Raiden is part of Asian lore in mm-hmm. terms of a thunder god, whether that's sort of depicted as Asian or not, I think they thought didn't really matter too much. And they thought that the casting of Christopher Lambert was was kind of inspired. I did read that Sean Connery's name <laughs> actually came up yes. as casting for Raiden. Um, at the time, but there wasn't really any interest from his people. So well, did, no, they, just, I, I, did I, they just go through the Highlander cast <laughs> list and then just like Christopher Lambert? And if Christopher Lambert didn't get it, were they gone with Clancy Brown? I, been I don't good. know. I read that he didn't want to do um, Mortal Kombat because he wanted to play golf, which seems very, <laughs> which seems very much in character for not, Sean Connery. Not Lee Carvello's putting challenge. <laughs> no. So I also Chris, helped that Christopher Lambert was a big video game fan as well, oh, apparently. Really? Yeah, he really liked video games, and so he was chuffed to be in this. But he brings a real twinkle to this film. There's not a scene, even in the most serious moments, uh, talking about the fate of billions and such, that he doesn't like end it with a chuckle or a smile or something smug. Like He, he always knows that they're going to win. <laughs> What you're about to face is vastly more important than your ego, your enemy, or your quest for revenge. You have embarked on a sacred mission. You have been chosen to defend the realm of Earth in a tournament called Mortal Kombat. Defend it from who? Your world is but one of many realms. One of them is a forsaken land called Outworld, ruled by an immortal who has crowned himself emperor. Now he seeks a new world to conquer and enslave. Now wait a second. If this guy is so powerful, then why doesn't he just invade us? To enter the realm of Earth, the Empress demon sorcerer Shang Tsung and his warriors have to win 10 straight victories in mortal combat. <laughs> they have won nine. This will be the 10th tournament. A handful of people on a leaky boat are going to save the world. Exactly. The essence of Mortal Kombat is not about death, but life. Mortal men and women defending your own world. Why are you telling us all this? What about the others? 
They are all great fighters. But I have looked into their souls. And yours. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. The fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs> So one of Shang Tsung's powers is apparently he can look into your soul and can see what your biggest fear is. But there seems to be an implication that he can see whether or not you're going to win, whether you're not going to lose. Because Raiden looks into people's souls and says, for example, Sonya Blade isn't going to win and one of you will decide the fate. So what I'm trying to say, what I'm getting at is, does Shang Tsung look into the soul of Liu Kang and and know Liu Kang's going to win, and he's secretly crapping himself? I think I'm putting yeah. on a brave face. Save I, your pity for the weak. I think so, maybe a little bit. Like he knows that he kind of has to accept Liu Kang wanting to fight him, and you know maybe he's a little bit full of himself as well, and just says like, I I, I, I can still beat you. I'm Shang Bleeding Sung. Maybe. If he had just said, Liu Kang challenges him at the end, and rather than going, I accept, he would have been like, no, I still want to fight Sonya Blade. Well, I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to fight Liu Kang. Who's going to fight anyone? They just stay like that forever. For a thousand years. It's okay. I can can live for thousands of years, so I'll just wait until you all perish normally. Hmm. If, If the competitors of Mortal Kombat all just died of old age, would that count as a victory? Well, the question comes up because he mentions about Prince Goro being the reigning champion of Mortal Kombat. Mm. So Mortal Kombat, this tournament, happens every generation. If one realm defeats the other ten times in a row, they get to take it over. So at the moment, Earth has nine losses. If Outworld defeats Earth one more time, they get to take over Earth. So they're fighting for the fate of the world, as it's described. And they mention that Prince Goro is the reigning champion, but how many times has he won? And if he's the reigning champion, then do they know about the fact that all these people live for thousands and thousands of years? Not at the time they mention it. So they probably think, oh, Prince Goro, I can just defeat him because he's at least 30 years older than he was when he won. So he won't be any spring chicken. I think they mentioned, though, Shang Tsung um, is a former champion of Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So one of those times, at least, Shang Tsung won. I think... In the, in the gaming's lore, there was a, just a normal Shaolin Monk fighting tournament, which was then won by Shang Tsung, and that effectively became the first Mortal Kombat tournament. Is that what makes him live for so long? Uh, maybe, but I think there is a distinction between immortal and invincible. Goro, who might either be long-lived, because apparently he's half-dragon, according to the game lore, or he could just be immortal but can die. And I guess that perhaps explains why Raiden shows up as a fighter in the games, because yeah. he turns himself into a mortal. And, and as we're still on the subject of Raiden, it's mentioned that he has no dominion on the mysterious island. But what does that mean exactly? Because he still uses... Well, he, he, he gets says, sparkly fingers. Shainson welcomes to says welcome to my island and stuff. I think it basically means this is a little bit of a limbo island in between realms, mm-hmm. and that he can't really do all the crazy stuff that he does on Earth. And Shainson is a little bit limited in terms of the stuff that he can do, I guess, in the outworld and stuff. And that's why he wants to 
take him there later on. As you mentioned, the games have this degree of panto to them and they're just really over the top. And I think there could definitely be a Mortal Kombat film. And I think there has been Mortal Kombat, uh, Mortal Kombat fan films and things, which are so super serious and grim dark that it's just, just not fun to watch. It's just a bit, just very po-faced. And I think it's quite nice to have this this god who humanity could be end, but he has a sort of aloofness to it. And and there's that wonderful Christopher Lambert laugh where he's like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> when he's talking about the death of billions. But the counterpoint to that, and I think what also works in terms of performance and casting, is that you have Shang Tsung, played by Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. And I think his performance as Shang Tsung is one of my favourite villain performances yeah. in cinema. And what's interesting is that he does it seriously. So it's a counterpoint to Raiden's slightly jokey behaviour. But I think it works. He's not like a cackling supervillain. He's very charming. Mm. He's very... Um, he enjoys being who he is. Yeah, he's very assured and confident, but not in a kind of maniacal, you know, super villainy kind of way, because he just knows that it takes a lot for his feathers to be ruffled, I think. And when it does happen, and when he does get angry later on, you, he really sort of sells that mm. sort of intensity, but he's just got such delicious delivery of his lines. Yeah, he's got that stillness about him. You're right. A lot of a lot of villains, I think, are depicted as missing something and uh, feel in some way inadequate. And Shang Tsung definitely acts like he's he's a lord of the manor. At the end of the day, he's got the confidence of having won nine times before. And while everything rests on this final tournament, he still he's not going to let that break make him break a sweat. I think maybe his coat helps as well. <laughs> I imagine the Emperor Shao Kahn saying, if you win this final tournament, you will have possession of the Earth Realm and this sweet coat. <laughs> um, Got a badass leather jacket. Mm, exactly. But yeah, I agree. He's one of these, one of the underrated villains of cinema, much like Skeletor in Masters of the Universe, where if he was in a more widely recognised classic... He would be up there with the Darth Vader's and things. Uh, m- maybe not Shang Tsung is up there with Darth Vader, <laughs> but this is maybe it's because we watched this film a lot when we were younger. But so much of the dialogue is fun to repeat and to say, none more so than "Your soul is mine," and um, it has begun. <laughs> ah, it's so fun. Yeah, I think apart from this. There's a few other like minor characters. There's Art in things, who's just like a, a fighter who's who's basically a, a red shirt from Star Trek. Yeah, it's like, oh, this character's not in the game. He's going <laughs> to die. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that's all the characters. They all board the boat that will take them to the tournament from Hong Kong Harbour, and all our main characters are kind mm. of introduced to each other. We see Raiden introduces himself, gives the lowdown on the tournament, and... Oh, we also meet... Scorpion and Sub-Zero, deadliest of enemies, but slaves under my power. Shang Tsung's power. Shang Shang Tsung's power, not 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 my power. Yeah, so I guess fan favourite characters, Scorpion Mm. and Sub-Zero, mainly because they look kind of cool and have cool powers. Special moves. Wonderful things I discovered in uh, my research of Mortal Kombat was Mortal Kombat the album. 
because as we mentioned, this film and franchise often hangs on the amazing uh, theme, which I think is called, is it called Techno? Techno Syndrome. Techno Syndrome. By the Immortals. (laughs) Did they choose their name after or before? Um, they decided to take on Mortal Kombat. I think it's like a project by a couple of Norwegian dance music artists or electronic music artists or something. And I think they go under the Immortals moniker for this album mm. and this album alone. Yes, the album was released really to coincide with the release of the game on home consoles. I and think... it was kind of a thing at the time because there was mm. a Donkey Kong Country CD which had like Oasis, I think, on it. Yep. And uh, popular disc of ours in the collection was um, the Killer Instinct Killer Cuts album. I think that's my first CD. <laughs> on the, when uh, that came out on Super Nintendo. What, how does that compare to the uh, Immortals Mortal Kombat album? Well, oh sorry, you're talking about Killer Cuts? Or... Yeah, well which is better? I would say Killer Cuts because Killer Cuts has songs really from the uh, game, Technified Up whereas the songs in Mortal Kombat the album has well the way the way best way to put it you know has Kung Fu fighting oh ho, ho, ho. exactly and then they did a follow up record called One Two Do the Kung Fu uh yeah so. <laughs> exactly so the Carl a- Douglas so the Mortal Kombat the album has one Kung Fu fighting and then seven One Two Do the Kung Fu's okay they're all pretty bad dialogue wise and i kind of lyrics wise <laughs> or when I, or dialogue as well there's a bit of dialogue in oh, there dear. but I, I was reminded of it because the track for sub zero every track is related to one of the fighters okay the track for sub zero is called chinese ninja warrior great china doesn't have ninjas According to the DVD extras on the Mortal Kombat DVD where it has combatant profiles, it does say that Sub-Zero and Scorpion were Chinese ninjas. Ninja is a Japanese word, but I guess they mean just Chinese silent foot soldier. I went in the old Google. I, I googled, does China have ninjas? It's a definite no. They may have had assassins. They're just very good. That's why no one knows they're there. That's probably it. But yeah, they are fan favourites. I guess the one thing properly missing from this film is their rivalry. I'm very happy that it's mentioned, but in the games they are the they are the deadliest of enemies. Scorpion is he actually murdered by Sub Zero and then he comes back yeah, to kill Sub Zero. I think there's something about them being brothers as well at one point. Mm. Uh all gets sort of caught up in the Mortal Kombat mythos. But we're introduced to them, we are quickly shown their powers. They don't talk, but I don't think they need to. Just going back to the boat, it's funny when it pulls into port and people are like, what the hell is that? And I was just thought, that's a boat with a smoke machine. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Yeah. It comes on the cloud and people are like, oh my God. It's like, what? you've never seen a smoke machine before. Speaking of oil budget, what was the dry ice budget on this film? <laughs> Quite. And uh, fake cobweb budget and candle budget. Oh gosh, so many candles. <laughs> candles all over the food. There's a scene later on when Johnny Cage and crew are going through a tunnel and parting, go, penetrating cobwebs as they go. And they and Johnny Cage says, I know Princess Katana went this way because I can smell her perfume. And that opens up a few questions because Princess Katana could not have gone through this way if you are breaking cobwebs to go this way. Maybe she's a spider. Maybe she's a spider. 
But no, I, I choose to believe that she definitely didn't go this way. So what is Johnny Cage smelling? Goro's perfume. Goro's perfume. Because they end up in the place where Goro last was. Well, he, they end up in the place where Goro was eating. So, may, <laughs> so maybe her perfume is just giant giant chickens. <laughs> <laughs> it's like greasy, meaty turkey and things. KFC by Katana. <laughs> I mean, so much food in this film. This is so much. This, this, this is a film of feasts, and um, I think there's one point where t- a table, when tables get overturned to make way for uh, some combat, and I think I'm always like the food, yeah, on the floor. Happens pretty quick as they arrive on the island. Hmm. Um, they're presented with this sort of big banquet, and that's when we see Sub Zero really let off his powers. There's this sort of the penny drops. Yeah, there's this kind of like, I don't know, demonstration fight. Welcome. You're here to compete in mortal combat. Tomorrow morning, the great combat begins. Some of you will even have the distinct honor and pleasure to face Prince Goro, our reigning champion. You are all witnesses to one of the greatest turning points in the history of your planet. Treasure these moments as if they were your last. And now for a taste of things to come. Well, does the henchman... So what happens is everyone's chowing down. Then the the muscly men appear with Sub-Zero. Mm-hmm. Shang Tsung does a little speech and then they do this demonstration, as you mentioned, which is Sub-Zero versus Nameless Muscly Monk number one. And... Yeah, we're not sure who... Like like Dead or Alive, where it was like an island filled with all these people who weren't competing. Mm. Like, are these people... Like, the armies of Outworld, are they foot soldiers? Are they just fans? I... There's like a couple of... Like, a couple of Goro's biggest fans later on. They're these two guys who just shout at each other mm. and then shout at the screen and a guy semi-regularly. In like, and there's like a guy in a sort of check shirt as well. Oh, is there? Yeah. I think I remember seeing this on the big screen. He's just in the background. And I guess you can apply, oh, he's a, he's a, he's a warrior from Earthrealm, but he, he doesn't look like he is. Um, well, I mean, it must cost a lot to put these tournaments on and stuff, so I guess they have to have, like, spectators and paying fees for tickets. Probably Mortal Kombat on pay-per-view. It costs <laughs> your soul. But, yeah, so, so Sub-Zero and the henchmen have this fight. And totally ices the guy. Well, yeah. And does the henchman know he's going to die? I think, but if he does, or if he doesn't, either way, it's either hilarious or terrifying. <laughs> because either it's terrifying because the henchman knows he's going to die, but he's, he's sacrificing himself to demonstrate the power. Or he genuinely thought he was going to kill or knock out Sub-Zero... And that would have been a bit of an anticlimax. <laughs> it's like, oh, you one of one of the scary Sub Zero of the ice powers gets just punched, kicked in the face, and he's like, mm, my topless goon. Mm, 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 no. <laughs> mm. But yeah, as I say, that the most alarming thing of that scene is that is the gross uh, waste of food. And I bet, <laughs> I bet everyone, everyone working in the kitchens, there must be amazing kitchens in the basement of uh, this island. I slave over a over a hot stove and cauldron all day. I just wonder. I just wonder how this island sustains itself. I bet fruit is very expensive. You mentioned this, uh, the Immortals album. 
from whence the uh, techno syndrome, the theme of Mortal Kombat, as it were, came mm. from. But the music in the film is brilliant. Like the soundtrack, it's, it's quite it's, high praise. I well, I think so, but I think it's it was the first time that like I think an action film had a predominantly techno electronic soundtrack. There's lots of metal and guitar as well put mm. in, but then you get these Eastern elements like big taiko drums and throat singing peppered throughout, and I think it's a generally very good score and the soundtrack as well went platinum yeah i think it makes it unique as well i mean one of the things reasons i love uh, highlander uh, another christopher lambert classic and one thing i think the highlander sequels get really really wrong is highlander has a queen soundtrack and which you don't often find uh, like you don't find a often find a rock soundtrack in a film set often set in the past and same with Mortal Kombat there's wasn't so you know techno wasn't in martial arts films usually and mm. but I can't remember if the games I don't think the games tend to they tend to have like a, just a dark not orchestral but I think yeah. that, I think we should embrace the techno a little bit more what sits successful with the music is mm. is how they match the music to the fights because mm. basically once they arrive once they've had their meal spoiled by Oof. sub-zero we kind of get into basically just fight after fight after fight i mean sometimes peppered with little bits and pieces with raiden you know trying to convince our heroes of their destiny in their quest and help them realize their own worst enemies which are themselves we get a series of fights where it's each of our main heroes facing off against insert name here <laughs> well yeah it does make you wonder how how this tournament actually works <laughs> it's they like... seem to some characters seem to be aware of the schedule because <laughs> they say you know your next fight you'll have to do this mm. or whatever others sort of break the schedule and say no i want to fight this person next and other people are like walking around a, johnny cage is walking around a very beautiful forest <laughs> and then gets pounced upon by scorpion yeah i guess it's with like no, with nobody watching i mean maybe it's like doa but it sort of seems like chainson says like the island is the battleground so mm. there's some stuff where it's like here's an audience and here's a ring and here's an adjudicator and other stuff is just like i'm gonna fight you now one of those things if you overthink which i'm not a fan of <laughs> no if you overthink it then yes you wonder how on earth is this tournament being run but if you give it credit you could say this is a magical tournament this is a tournament decreed by the gods in a way so they will know who wins and who loses when fights begin and end so just get on board get on board yeah. get with the program we were talking about the fight choreography and i think each of the fights no matter what sort of level of whether it's just something with sticks or mm. whether it is just a punch here and there or whether it is full-blown supernatural magic weirdness uh i think every fight has a couple of beats at least that are interesting yeah it's not it's so not endless generic. fighting it's not yeah. endless punching and kicking each fight has something a bit different about them different fight styles their states slightly different yeah. I, in my notes in the first fight with Liu Kang there's fights with sticks as you mentioned and I initially wrote why are they fighting with sticks this isn't Mortal Kombat but it actually just gives it a different texture yeah because if it was just oh more punches it wouldn't have been quite as I don't know interesting and I, I think like everything 
each fight has a few couple of good gags. Mm-hmm. Each fight has a few um, like the the beats, the blows themselves are quite impactful. Mm. You do feel certain moments where oof, that must have hurt, and it it sounds like. You know, based on stories I've read from the cast that, yes, they did a lot of their own stunts. And as a result, a lot of them got very, very bruised. I think one thing Robin Shu said was he gave fights a rank one, two or three, depending on how <laughs> many ribs he broke during oh, it. Oh, God. I think um, I read that uh, Lyndon Ashby, um, he was wearing some back protector, um, but someone kicked him in between the protectors and bruised his kidneys and he ended up pissing blood. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also, every fight has a different look. I think the only weird one is when we go from uh, Liu Kang's fight with the Nameless Goon, and then we, the very next fight is Sonya Blade fighting Kano, and that's I think, is on the same location. So that's the only time where it's a bit samey, but I think the Johnny Cage one is a standout. And interestingly... The Johnny, Johnny Cage versus Johnny Cage versus Scorpion yeah. is a standout. The the initial bit when he's fighting in the woods was going to be the only bit. The both the Scorpion fight and the reptile fight are the result of uh, test audiences saying there wasn't enough fighting, <laughs> and so initially, um, and you can actually you see this in the novelization of there's a more, there's a novelization of Mortal Kombat. Um, it's on my bedstand right now. Um, Not really. <laughs> In novelization and in the original script, Johnny Cage gets chased around by Scorpion's stinger, which he shoots out. And then Johnny Cage karate kicks him in the face, and that's the end of the fight. Great. But in the film, they he gets sucked into some sort of nether realm. Makes you wonder how he escapes. <laughs> Is yeah. it like a side door? Let's let's just assume that once he defeats Scorpion, the spell is broken and he's whisked back to yeah. reality. Yeah, so in the finished film, um, he karate kicks and then they do a warp effect and he finds himself into a never realm. And, and, and the reptile fight just wasn't in there. Originally, when reptile is defeated, the little CGI reptile is thrown into a corpse and he's trapped inside the corpse and there he stays. But they changed it so that reptile then morphs into a human reptile and those two fights are perhaps the best fights because mm. they were added after there were new fights added where the focus was on just getting the fights, not trying to make another film as a film at the same time. It seems completely mad in retrospect that you wouldn't have a fight. Well, for starters, that the reptile monster creature monster, which is as much as like, you know, we praise like the Goro animatronic reptile and most of the cg in this film is brutally bad yes <laughs> it's charming in retrospect but it rep, reptile <laughs> it's really just <sighs> i think getting away with it is too is giving it too much credit i think but i was, I was gonna say i think it just about gets away with it because the fantasy look of this film is is very much like death metal album cover you've got your yeah. towers of lightning and stuff like that and you've got these um one of the map paintings is the tippity top of the mountain and there's just another mountain next to it with like a big old uh, warrior with a mask just standing statue, there yeah. like a statue of liberty but it's not liberty it's i don't know statue of a guy with a club it's <laughs> a statue of the guy of the club what i was saying is just mad that they have this reptile cg character mm. and they 
in the initial version of this film mm-hmm. didn't make him look like the reptile in the game. Yes. And it's only when they did the reshoot that they thought, oh no, let's actually have that. And also that means that we wouldn't have Liu Kang do his distinctive sort of bicycle kicking move. Yeah. And with Scorpion, we wouldn't have had him ripping his like head off and revealing the skull and breathing yeah. fire. It's just like all these key moments, which are some of the most like fun and crowd pleasing for at least fans, you know, fans of the games, these uh, sort of key bits just not being in the film. Um, well, I mean, this was yeah, baffling. This, again, this is like I say, the third video game movie, and up until that point, um, the the video game movies we, we had already didn't really do much to recreate the iconography from the games. And I think not many video game movies before or since have really done this much service to the games. I mean, you've got the very distinctive look of the characters. I think the Johnny Cage versus Scorpion fight is definitely one of the highlights, mm. not just in terms of, like, I mean, it looks so metal. I mean, <laughs> it's like yeah. skulls, like, being sliced open with neon red blood yeah, pouring his out Yeah, his head explodes. It's a proper fatality. Mm. It's a, I, you know, I mean, look, we talked about, like, this film was meant to be PG-13, it's 15 in the UK, mm. and... I get that they were trying to tone down the violence in order to get a better rating, even though the violence is like key to the success of the games. But I think that particular fatality, as it were, delivers, you know, the kind of Mortal Kombat style bloodletting that you need, you uh, need from a movie with this name. But yeah, you're right. It's it's you've got your blood pouring out of him, and it's um, great. <laughs> it's probably is the that's probably the best in a nutshell fight of the film when it comes to like Mortal Kombat-iness. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess this sort of Sub-Zero fight has... The main, set for that. The set, but also like, you know, the icicle and things. I think that is most memorable though for... Um, so Princess Katana, she is the adopted daughter of Emperor Shao Kahn, she's the evil she, um, emperor of Outworld. Yeah, she's the Gamora to Mortal Kombat's Thanos. Yes, yes. But she's also, yeah, so she's 10,000 years old and she's possibly going to help the humans mm. to, to defeat Shao Kahn. And she does so by telling Liu Kang in a battle that they've been um, assigned to fight that in your next battle you must use the element that brings life. And then Liu Kang rips her head off. <laughs> <laughs> because I wondered how that, yeah, in this montage of fights, one of them is a fight between. Uh, two goodies, effectively. Mm. And I just... How does this fight end? The scene ends. What happens? Shao, Shang Tsung says... Enough. Uh, enough, I'm disappointed. But who wins the fight? If this is a tournament, who won the... Was it a warm-up? The thing is, is that he immediately then fights Sub-Zero. Mm. And again, Katana appears and tells... You know, he remembers the thing that she just said, like, mm. seconds ago. And then puts two together and realises... Water! Yeah, did he just totally forget what she said? Yeah, probably. I thought fists was the element of things like. <laughs> He's been trying to... if you, but maybe if you are very bad at CPR. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess maybe like because Liu Kang fights next and Kitana doesn't, Shang Tsung was like, enough, uh, you're disqualified, Kitana. <laughs> Go back to your room. Shang Tsung later on does change. He does... 
Well, no, Johnny Cage has a plan and to challenge Goro before he's meant to challenge Goro. And Shang Tsung says he will allow it. But you can't do that in normal tournaments. What if England decided to be decided in a football tournament to challenge the winner? If you speak to the president of FIFA mm. and you're like, look, if we play two teams at once mm. and beat them... <laughs> <laughs> Can we get the World Cup now rather than going to the knockout stage? And, you know, I'd, I'd maybe, see that. maybe they would if they thought, hey, that's a great idea. And that will get record ratings. And can we have the final in Outworld? <laughs> <laughs> During the fights then, so Prince Goro, the reigning champion, uh, is brought in and there's a montage of him basically killing lots of people. And there's a matchup between him and the aforementioned Art, who is just there to die i guess yeah but it's it's nice that fight because as we said the goro suit and animatronics cost like a million dollars so you can kind of tell when there's actual goro fighting it's like please don't harm the animatronics <laughs> <laughs> tapping him with his foot a little bit yeah just a little just a little you know sucker punch dust you know just slightly graze the animatronics because we don't want to have to spend their hours fixing him it'd be great if he did just fully thump Goro in the face and then his eyes started twisting all around <laughs> and it's like as hydraulics went, <laughs> yeah. defeated footage where Art just rips Goro's head off and all of his like wires and cables come out <laughs> and Shang Tsung is like you were a robot all along <laughs> that's what those 16 guys around the corner were doing because <laughs> okay so Goro's got four arms oh we didn't mention I don't, I don't that. know if we mentioned that I'm interested he gets punched in nards later how many balls do you think he has I don't know. I'm assuming everything gets doubled up. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it was a gamble on Johnny Cage's part that he did actually have nods. After everyone's had their little montages, there's a little bit of a breather where everyone has a, a bit of a, an introspective moment. And um, Johnny Cage decides to, as we, as we said, challenge Goro because he's got a plan. Yeah, so like the deal is struck to basically say, I'm going to take on Goro now. And Shang Tsung's like, fine, if you want to do that, like, you know, you can die first, but everyone's going to be killed. And Shang Tsung says, for the final battle, I get to challenge the winner of the Goro v Cage match or a person of my choosing at a place that I designate. And Cage is like, yep, fine. And Rain is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Cage is like, hey, this is a tournament for us, guys. You don't get involved. And Raiden's like, yeah. <laughs> Finally, he understands. Finally, no, he understands. I, I was a bit confused because Raiden says that you, you, you're you so brash and so eager to prove you're legit that you rush in without thinking. Yeah. But then... He does he a very... Pretty much does that. Hot-headed move. I mean, his so his plan does seem to be do the splits, which is a move from the games, and punch Goro in the balls. Has anyone died from being punched in the balls? No, but I think I mean, he was you're an authority on would... this. <laughs> I mean, depends how hard the punch. I think he thought that he would be incapacitated mm-hmm. and then was going to make it up as he went along next. <sighs> That's a one-step plan. It, it is a bit of a gamble. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Cage defeats Goro by making him chase him mm-hmm. and then knocking him off a cliff. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean... Which isn't much of a plan. Just as well that the fight wasn't taking place indoors. 
Yeah, Art's fight is, seems to be the only one done indoors where there's no cliffs. <laughs> if only Art had access to a cliff. My greatest weakness, cliffs! Yes, and my nuts. Shang Tsung thinks, look, I can finish this quickly because now that Cage has agreed to, I get to fight the next person, mm. I get to fight Sonya, game over Earth, we win. So we say goodbye to Goro. But I like how when he does get punched in the nuts, he's like crying and stuff. I think that was like what, a nice Shang effect. Tsung. No, 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 Goro. <laughs> <laughs> my, my beautiful monster's bollocks. <laughs> no, Goro's the one who's got tears in his eyes. But as, literally as soon as Goro falls off a cliff, Sonya screams. So yeah. Shang Tsung's already Shang Tsung knew in the, kidnap knew. mode. Yeah, it's like, no! And then all the, all the spectators have disappeared as well. Can you imagine if one of the plaid shirt guys were like, you can't do that! Or let go of that woman! And then they're sucked to Outworld. Liu Kang and uh, Johnny Cage follow to Outworld and... Raiden can't go. Raiden can't go. Raiden is useless. <laughs> he says, I've taught you everything you need to know. He also says, they also say, can Sonya defeat Shang Tsung? And he goes, <laughs> no. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I guess I was, I was I was kind of fumbling of my words earlier about, about the tone and about the stakes, really. Because when we come to Outworld, it looks fantastic. It makes the film look much more expensive than it actually is. And I think I might have seen it in other d- apocalyptic films as well. But it, it was filmed in, uh, it says here, an abandoned Kaiser steel mill in Fontana, California. And now it's the California Speedway, apparently. And you just have these, I think, being filmed at night helps, but it's set, it's filmed in this just absolute wasteland and um, there seems to be collapsed buildings everywhere. People in rags running about going... Yeah, and uh, crucified corpses, which I assume were were there when they did the location scout. (laughs) (laughs) But there's these crucified corpses and they've got other corpses inside the chest cavities of these corpses. Yeah, and flames everywhere. (laughs) Shortly after arriving, they are told that this is what's going to happen to Earth should Liu Kang fail at Mortal Kombat. And Shao Kahn take over Earth. They meet Kitana. They meet Kitana, and then they go to the giant tower. There's there's a missing scene, I'm sure, where they become monks. (laughs) Well, Raiden has said that Sonya doesn't have to fight Shane Sun because she has to accept the challenge or there can be no final combat. And that's what she's doing. She's refusing to fight. But she doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. But Raiden knows that Sonya is sound as a pound and she's not going to rise to it. Kitana says, in order to defeat Shang Tsung, you must face your enemy. Mm -hmm. You must face yourself and you must face your worst fear. Mm. And they... They all sound equally difficult. They all sound equally difficult, equally challenging. But as you say, they make it into the big evil tower where Shang Tsung is residing and Sonya Blade is being kept disguised. Well, the trio are disguised as monks. How did this happen? I know it's a common thing, but did they... You want a little interlude sequence mm. where they punch out a bunch of hunky monks? And <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming everyone is jacked in this. It seems uh, that way. In this film. But no, okay, so they, they sneak into a side door... In the, in the tower and they don't get challenged in any way until they find the monk's changing room 
and then they all get into their monks' robes. I'm gonna. I, I don't think they knock out any monks because that would raise the alarm from a series of silent monks. <laughs> um, but they get into the robes. <laughs> so waggling their hands. Uh, yeah, they're just monks. Like uh, I've taken a vow of silence, but I need to tell someone that the, <laughs> the heroes are here. Keep so the do noise. they just kind of like I don't know sign language? Yeah. Then one of them holds up a sign saying "Keep the noise down." <laughs> um, so I'm going to assume that they just found the changing rooms and um, got into their robes, and then the next bit they'd have to find. Like we're all amongst saying we're going to go upstairs to the the big fighting chamber with the spike pit. With the hidden spike pit. They were like, hey, Shang Tsung's going to fight Sonya. Do you want to yeah, watch? Yeah, I want to see him beat up a lady. Like, no, I'm praying until midnight. <laughs> yeah, who are you praying to? Uh, <laughs> the Emperor. The Emperor. Okay. <laughs> you know there's literal gods in this universe. Yeah, no, not that one. <laughs> he is mine. He's my god. Do you think they're at the end of this line of monks or in the middle? Do you think they led the monks there? <laughs> Do you think they were at the front of the queue? Where are we going? <laughs> so just follow the monk in front. And they go I thought up. this was going to the canteen. Yeah, they go up and up and up and up, passing the canteen and the games room. The shower canteen. <laughs> the shower canteen and the arcade with dance stage. The bowling alley. The bowling alley. <laughs> um, the fizzy lifting drink room. This up well doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> Well, you know, I think there's a there's a long camera tracking shot right into the tower. And I think the fighting chamber is not at the top of the tower. It's kind of at the middle. So there must be all, all sorts of fun things further up the tower. But yes, our heroes, let's say our heroes led the monks who don't know why they're here um, to this room. Must have been following the signs or the floor map or something. Mm. And um, Well, like in the game, isn't it like a big tower? Where you mm. have the different fighters when you go uh, up. I think in the, the sequel takes place in Outworld. And isn't there a big tower where you see the fighters you're going to fight in arcade mode? Or is it a big mountain? Certainly like some sort of phallic lump. <laughs> phallic lump is a good it's a good name for something. I don't know. Um, I have to get back the to you on that. Mortal Kombat character. Phallic lump wins. <laughs> so our heroes enter the chamber and Sonia Blade says my friends will come which is quite she's accepted she's got friends and she's accepted that she needs help as anyone would if they're chained yeah. up and put into a leather a leather dress and she says my friends will come and Johnny Cage removes his hood and luckily before anyone says what the flip that's Johnny Cage um, he goes they're all, we're already here yeah, and Luke Kang goes, not now. <laughs> wait yes. a sec. Yes. I was going to spring a trap on Shane Sung. Well, I was going to wait for everyone to leave. <laughs> we could have... Hmm. The monks were literally instructed, take her to the cell. And if they were just thinking, they could have unchained her and taken her out of the, <laughs> out <laughs> of the tower. We could have just rescued her and then fought... Shang yeah. Tsung at a later date. Take her to the cell, and then Shang Tsung would have just been left in this big mm. room all on his own. Gone just, just be like... Hands on hips. Right. There's, there's no furniture. What happens next now? Mm. <laughs> Must be really tempting. When you're in a um, room you know has a hidden spike thing, not to use it. Because once you've used it, and then the spikes retract, you've got a floor full of holes. Yeah. I mean, I know he's a sorcerer. <laughs> 
Well, he, I'm sure he'd get someone to redo the floor. Yeah. Oh, it's Tuesday again, is it? <laughs> it's like, not a week goes by. Maybe uh, he doesn't use a spike pit. Got to call the stonemasons, make a new dragon logo floor. Mm. And the the spikes in this dragon logo, they only go through the dragon. So there's some very, there's some very large holes, some you know, very large sections of the floor without any spikes. So maybe sometimes he pushes someone onto the floor and they miss the spikes. And he goes, do you mind coming up here again? I've got a feeling he hasn't used the spikes before. Mm. And he's like, because it's, I don't think he's ever had a fight in Outworld mm-hmm. in this tower. I feel like he installed it. He was like, I choose a place of my designation because I know back home I've got a badass spike floor I'm mm. just waiting to use. <laughs> I've waited thousands of years to crack out the spikes. And now that Liu Kang's here, perfect moment because I can defeat the descendant of Kong Lao and do it with spikes. Mm. And he must be fan-bloody-tastic. <laughs> and um, I'm assuming contributing to the oil budget of this film, he keeps those gears for those spikes nice and oiled because there'd be nothing more embarrassing if the spikes just just about penetrated the the ground probably in the floor below there's a bunch of oily hunky monks mm. who are rotating some gears in order to bring up those spikes mm. we've talked more about this tower than <laughs> most of the film well so okay so Liu Kang yes they've got through the three stages cha- Liu Kang challenges Shang Tsung Shang Tsung accepts mm-hmm. kind of with through gritted teeth basically they have a little bit of a scrap mm-hmm and it looks like Liu Kang's coming out on top because he um, cut Shang Tsung's lip, which is Kung Fu for mm. you got me. Because as soon as someone touches their lip and it's blood and maybe do a little bloody split. A split. Maybe... <laughs> oh, bloody split. <laughs> Ouch. Shang Tsung starts raising his hands and summons spirits of fallen warriors of souls that he has claimed for himself. And this is face your enemy. Yeah, and and out the... pop mm-hmm. about eight or so different kinds of fighters, some with weapons. There's like a samurai with a katana. Um, there's some dude with a big spiky club. It's one of those times when I was watching it as a kid and my dad walks in and looks at it, snorts and leaves. Because <laughs> he's like, what's going This is ridiculous. They, they all um, smash out of Mortal Kombat branded manhole covers, which luckily does no damage to their skulls. Uh, one kick to their face seems to knock them out. Yeah, did they have like one hit kills mode on or something? It is that sort because... of Hollywood fighting thing where yeah, you, you, you are knocked unconscious when you are punched in the tummy. I mean, maybe these are dormant souls from hundreds of years ago and, you know, they're a little bit rusty. Well, like I said, they have all lost a fight, so... <laughs> yeah, they're I think, all a bunch of losers. I mean, Shang Tsung is a man who likes quantity, not quality. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And the next stage is Face Yourself, which sadly isn't a mirror mode. No, it is him saying, yeah, you can look into my soul and that's it. But you can't own it. Yeah. And then he runs up some stairs, and runs that's facing some, yourself. That's facing yourself, it seems. Maybe he's got a fear of spiral staircases. Maybe. I, I was listening to him go up those steps, and I think there's more steps, sound effects for natural steps. Before I heard a... Maybe he's got four legs. Maybe. He's got two hidden legs for his uh, scissor kicks. Yeah, for his rapid bicycle floaty kick. And finally, it's face, face your worst, worst fear. fear. Which, just like me, it's my brother. 
Yeah, he sort of says, he's trying to say, you're not responsible for my death, I don't blame you. Liu Kang's like, you're not my brother, I just... (laughs) My brother would totally blame me. (laughs) Also, I just saw you morph from Shane Song into him, so... That, That was a bit of a giveaway. A popular line in, I think Raiden says it, and then Liu Kang says it right here, that every man is responsible for his own destiny. And I'm thought, well, even if you're murdered, <laughs> yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, he's saying he's saying his brother is responsible for his own destiny, but he he, he was murdered. I guess, but he kind of chose he did, he to ch- fight. He did a, someone much stronger than I him. I don't know, but I mean, if someone near and dear to me was was killed by a serial killer, I would just be like, well, I miss Rory, but every man is responsible for his own destiny. <laughs> That's cold, <laughs> Liu Kang. His 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 final gambit not paying off. Shang Tsung gets very angry, angrier than we've ever seen him. His ponytail is all dishevelled, and his hair is sort of going across his sweat slicked forehead. As Shang Tsung starts to lose the fight, these souls start to abandon him with like CGI face. Yeah, White. Liu Kang's really kind of needling him at this point. So he's mm. like, I pity you, sorcerer, and um, you know, your souls are abandoning you. You know, they're rising up against you. You, your slave, sorcerer. You have lost your power over them. They have risen up against you. Free them! They are mine. Forever! All those souls and you still don't have one of your own. I pity you, sorcerer. Save your pity for the weak. Surrender, it's over. If Shang Tsung did defeat Liu Kang at this point, I think he would have a good long hard think about everything Liu Kang said. Nah. Nah. Be like, now I've got Liu Kang's soul. I've got got lots of souls. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's it's not really an anticlimax because it ends with him being... uh, Shang Tsung falling into a spike pit but I don't know I like this build up I yes. like the fact that he's an escalation it's a music as well the, the, the one, my, one of my favourite bits of music is the dun 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 and it, those beats happen in between the bits of dialogue and it's it really sells it so you're, you're alright it does escalate and I like the, yeah, the final scrap with Shang Tsung where he's just launching blow after blow into him and it really feels <laughs> this is the end. Mm. And he does a little final sparky fireball which Again, launches Shang Tsung off the ledge and onto the spikes. But then the, the, the fireball is, is very video gamey, and I remember being very disappointed by Street Fighter not having any Hadouken fireball. So, although this wasn't a full on fireball, it's still nice to see, and it's a good culmination because he is the chosen one. Yeah, there's enough 
whiz bangery and special effects yeah. uh, elsewhere. And as you mentioned, the spike, he falls on the spikes, which is an iconic Mortal Kombat thing. It would have been quite easy just to forget about it. But no, it's, it's a, that whole final fight above the, the spikes. It's Mortal Kombat, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, then you have a little bit of orbital... Halcyon lot and of, on and on. A lot of blue, uh, blue in the end of this film, and although we've seen blue sea and things like that, it's it's very calm, very refreshing color palette to have at the end. Peace and calm, and everything's good. His brother appears and says, "I'll see you later. <laughs> go in peace, brother. Yeah, unless you go to hell. Don't do anything. I wouldn't. Don't do anything. I wouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> like win a tournament." <laughs> And the film was going to end with our heroes returning to the Temple of Light and Raiden saying, you guys did great credits. But then the Temple of Light explodes and popping out the top is a Shao Kahn saying, you weak, pathetic fools, I've come for your souls. And Raiden says, I don't think so. Etc. They stapled on a... A sequel tease, which seems to happen all the time today. I mean, I remember. I love it. I remember, yeah. I remember at the time thinking, oh my god. (laughs) It's Oh my god. Now I'm just. Raiden's gonna fight finally. But not just knowing that what comes next is Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Mm -hmm. tune into a future episode for that. But also, it just seems like, oh, the rules were. After all that. And then they just he's just like, oh, well, whatever, I'm going to break the rules. And mm. Somebody says, right at the start, I think it's Johnny Cage, which says, why, if he's so powerful, why doesn't he invade? And Raiden side, sidesteps the question and just says, he knows he must win 10 more combats. Yeah, because it's that, in the rules. Well, it does imply that there is some sort of rules dictating this is the only way he can do it. But then he does just sort of appear at the end. Mm. And yeah, it felt a bit unfortunate but yeah i can't deny i can't deny that it gets me so excited it's yeah like when they all take their stance Mm -hmm. and the main theme kicks in again and the music starts pumping Mm. and someone shouts mortal kombat once more it's like yeah i wonder how many time times i've heard the phrase mortal kombat in the last few days (laughs) sorry mortal engines (laughs) (laughs) um whenever i type mortal into my phone it has combat you blew it mortal engines (laughs) But this film flew by. Uh, if we didn't have to record a podcast, I would happily watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation until I, I, about five minutes in. But we'll get to that, I suppose. But yeah, it does get you hyped for, any, for another film. Yeah, I think this is... A, as, since it was released, it has been viewed as one of the better video game movies. And I think this absolutely still stands. It's not only... A, it would be a fun movie... In of itself, I love a good supernatural kung fu movie. As an adaptation, apart from the the lack of violence, which it might just be a bit too horrible and a bit too disbelieving if you, if these people were, were losing that much blood. I think, yeah, I think particularly with the tone of the film, if it went in that direction, it would offset the in a way, family-friendly feel of this film. I mean, there's still violence and stuff, but it's 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 tame enough for it to not be 
like a grim watch. Like I wouldn't want anything that happens in like the raid or the raid two to happen here in terms of like mm. hammers and heads. And I mean, one thing to consider about the raid is most people who encounter that level of violence don't get up. I mean, I've lost count of the number of action films where someone gets like a spike through the leg and then they they rip their shirt, they tie it up, and then 10 minutes later, they are walking really mm. confidently. But if your muscle gets a hole in it, you, you're not walking anywhere. Yeah, anything more than a cut and people just shrugging it off would just seem really weird in this film. But I think the, like, the tone of this film is more like, say, Big Trouble Little China. Mm. It's very much, you know, supernatural kung fu elements, but Johnny Cage is a little bit Jack Burton. It's it's going for a similar kind of feel, and I think it, it works. I mean, I have gone through, like, the forums and things, and there are some Mortal Kombat fans who are like, oh, this film's so lame because they watered it down, blah, 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 blah. But, again, from a business standpoint... The game was really popular with 12 to 13-year-olds. And so the film should be aimed at 12 to 13-year-olds, really. Mm. I mean, I think negative points, you mentioned it just... It does feel... A, you, you feel like you, you sense the budget and it feels a bit flat. But I think I, that was mainly on the big screen. I can kind of see how, like, quite a few critics at the time, probably because they saw it at the cinema and things like that, you know, would have thought this was a bit cheap and goofy and silly and falling apart at the seams i think it it definitely as a home entertainment experience is where it works best it has crowd pleasing elements but i think it's more friday night takeaway kind of movie than like big screen experience compared to martial arts films today yeah i wouldn't watch this again necessarily for the fighting although it's it's, it's definitely above par it's, it's definitely it's definitely decent uh, and this is still is fine but I, would, I enjoy the world a lot more and the characters so that's what i'd watch this film for it's a touchstone for this podcast mm. and i think anyone with an interest in video game movies it's it's essential viewing but i think even if you don't know about mortal kombat or the games and you just want some silly mid-90s entertainment for 90 minutes it's yes. it delivers thinking about it i feel my fandom of the games and this film are very much intertwined you know, the film came out so quickly after the game that it's actually difficult to remember a time when it wasn't around so yeah i would definitely recommend checking out uh, mortal kombat if you've not done so already i'll be, I'll be amazed if any of our listeners haven't already seen Mortal Kombat, mm. but... And it was a pleasure to revisit. Pleasure to revisit, as we do once a generation. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we visiting or revisiting next? Emphasis on re, mm. because we are looking at resident evil <laughs> apocalypse. Well, not directed by Paul Anderson this time round, but uh, we're doing a sequel to a Paul Anderson movie, which we covered Back in October, Resident Evil. This is Resident Evil Apocalypse. We're doing so because of the imminent release of the remake of Resident Evil 2. Re There's a lot of re's in this. <laughs> yeah. Re, 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 rewind. When the crowd say bow. Select that. <laughs> um, so we'll be looking at Resident Evil Apocalypse on our next episode.
Brilliant. And in the meantime, how can people follow Games on Film? Well, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at Games on Film Pod on Twitter with facebook.com slash Games on Film Pod on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rory Steele. Oh, on Twitter, you can follow me as at Only Man Who Can. And you can email the podcast, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. All episodes available on soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod. Do you have anything to plug, Harry? I do stand-up comedy, so if you just search for Harry Steele, comedian, you can find me. Um, also, I have now updated our letterbox uh, list, so if you go to letterboxd and search for Only Man Who Can, you'll find the complete list of films we are co- we have covered and 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 what's coming up next and do follow us on facebook and twitter because we post lots of stuff about video game movie and tv news mm-hmm. and yeah, lots uh, been happening at the moment yeah, start lots, of the year lots lots going on uh, lots of uh, material for future episodes as mm. we uh, continue the podcast into 2019 and beyond and the music for games on film was composed by david lightfoot Right, well, we now we've escaped Outworld. We're going back to Earth Realm. <laughs> and we look forward to a next time with Resident Evil Apocalypse. Uh, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. That's been a flawless victory. Finish him. Bye. Bye. Bye.